Hi everyone, I'm Jennifer, the host of Ikigai with Jennifer Shinkai, where we're going to talk about the Japanese concept of Ikigai or living a life of purpose. Here you're going to hear inspirational stories from all different types of people who are finding their own life of purpose. You're going to hear about how they found their Ikigai and what they do every day to live an integrated life. So without further ado, let's dive right in. Good morning, good afternoon, good afternoon, good afternoon, and welcome. Every single session of Ikigai with Jennifer Shinkai, I screw up my opening. I'm so excited, always with my guests. Oh, well, maybe I need to go and have some uh, presentation skills training, which is ironic because uh, it's been, actually it's been a while since I've done presentation skills training, uh, delivering. So maybe it's time to get back into it. But yes, it's Ikigai with Jennifer Shinkai. I am, I am here with a great guest, the wonderful, the one, the only, Henry Seals. Welcome. Oh. Welcome, welcome, yay. Thank you. Thank you, Jennifer. I have known of you, Henry, in the, mm-hmm. the Japan community, foreigners here and there, although you're not a foreigner anymore because you're a naturalized a Japanese, Japanese citizen. And I was watching, uh, as part of my research, your interview on Black in Japan, The Melanated Files, where you talk all about that process. So if people want to find out about that process, there's so much great information uh, that Henry shared about why he made this decision. We may or may not get into it uh, today. We have some other interesting topics to talk about, right, which have may not been have covered in your other interviews. But I met you, Henry, so I've known of you, and then... Last year, I was doing some work for the company that you're working for now, and you came up in a couple of the workshops. So we were talking about like how to deal with life in lockdown and working from home and feeling connected. And I think that was where we first got connected. And then, uh, yeah, came across in some other uh, projects with some of your colleagues. And I was following you on LinkedIn in a stalkerish way, and I saw that you had become the human rights commissioner in Japan and I thought wow that's that's why well <laughs> why, why? Like, why? <laughs> like obviously yeah like that's something we'll we'll talk yeah, about like today in Japan for all, of all places right yeah how brilliant and also you know thinking about in this podcast I'm really trying to find people who have got interesting lives they're making really interesting different decisions and to give mm-hmm. lots of examples lots of different ways that ikigai can show up and I think that uh you're going to be a great guest with so many things to share. How are we going to get it into like 45, 50 minutes? I don't know. We'll figure it out. We'll figure it out together. Why don't we start with this big question? Sure. So right now for you, mm-hmm. how would you define your Ikigai? Okay. Um, well, I guess my Ikigai is, and it, it's evolved, you know, as you, I guess, obviously, you know, these things evolve over time. And mine is really about alleviating pain. And I don't mean it in the short term, like you want someone to be happy for the moment or you want everything to go well for someone. But I've learned that people who are suffering sort of lead to others suffering. And so as an HR person, as a coach, as a parent, as a as a partner, you know, for someone, the easier I can get them on a road to where they don't feel pain consistently, where they feel like they're, you know, the world's adding to them rather than taking away. They produce, you know, good right? For themselves and for the people around them. I think a healthy mind helps produce other healthier minds. And so right now I'm really, really committed to to that because I see the results. I see it in myself and I see it in others. And so finding interesting ways of doing that and helping people, finding methods I can give to them and say, here's a method and they can take it and run with it on their own. That's really my excitement. That gets me up in the morning. Right. So alleviating pain. That's um, so generous of you. Well, well, well I mean, it's self-serving <laughs> at the end of the day. Don't, I, I don't want to make you thinking like somehow like I'm, well, I don't know, Mother Teresa is the right example. Like I'm trying out there to cure people. It's that by doing so, my life is better, right? right. The life of other people is just better. I mean, there's a, self, there's a self-interest here. Like, for instance, you know, living in Japan for almost 30 years now, mm. I know that if my Japanese mm, countrymen and women, right, or my people who live in my neighborhood, if they feel a little better about their place in the world, they feel a little more confident, a little less afraid, then they're not going to fear me, right? They're not going to be reactionary when they hear about, you know, they see, like today I, I gave a speak, a, a talk at an elementary, no, sorry, elementary school, middle school right? Uh, for, for like human rights week, sort of delayed, but I was speaking at the school and I said to them, one of the things I'm trying to do is normalize a face like mine helping you. So by doing that, I help myself, I help my family, I help other people. So it's self-serving, but I've <laughs> learned that 
it, I learned, I've learned that it, it, one, it works and it makes me feel good to do it. Yeah. I love that. And I, you know, there's a concept, well, not concept, uh, an assessment called the Ikigai Nine, and it has these di- nine different questions. It was started by some Japanese researchers, recently been translated into English and validated in English. And some of the questions are very much about like somebody needs me or like connections yes. to the the outer world, uh, to outer society. I'm I'm there for someone. I'm you know, it's it's important that I exist. Yes. And so I feel, so feel that coming through in this idea of alleviating other people's pain. Right. I think that's where I think it makes me feel important at the end of the day, too. It makes <laughs> me feel like I'm serving a purpose. And I think that's what keeps people excited. If you feel that there's purpose, like in your relationship, then you'll you'll get up early and maybe make breakfast for your partner or wash the dishes or or do that extra mile at work because you feel recognized. A lot of yeah. times, I mean, you probably know this, you know, people working at the office, they'll say sometimes they don't feel like they get recognition mm. for the work they do. And of course, recognition can take various different forms. But at the end of the day, recognition is really, really important to people. Yeah. So for me, I, I think I, I do get recognition out of what I've done you know, this stuff I do. And yes. that, I think that helps, keeps me motivated. Right, it does. And, and tell us, I don't know where to go on this next question. There's, there's too many. So hang on, let me change my question and say, of all the different ways that your Ikigai shows up in your life, which one would you like to talk about first? Okay, well, I'd like to talk about the fact that I'm the father of five from three separate marriages, right? Uh, I'm presently in the third. <laughs> I'm presently in the third. I'm enjoying it tremendously. But, you know, that aspect of my life that I don't talk about much because people don't ask me can sort of appear contrary, right, to this idea of alleviating pain. It can also be something that can take away from the ikigai. It can be, you know, anyone who's been through a divorce or yeah. had that specter over them knows how much it can take from you spiritually, mentally, yeah. financially, emotionally, everything. And so talking about it in the context of, you know, how did it apply to my relationship? Yeah. The ones that, you know, didn't last until forever, so to speak, as far as like death do you part type of. That to me is a fascinating topic, particularly it's in, it involves Japan, culture, my own point of view on the world. And maybe we can talk about that. Yes, I would love to talk about that, um, especially because we have uh, going on right now in Japan. We're, we're recording this just before the start of the Olympics and uh, French National is uh, on a hunger strike. I think he's on day six right now. And, Mm -hmm. you know, he is in the situation where he's not able to see his children. Japan has a single custody law. And and one of the things which comes up in a wider context, you know, when I'm doing Ikigai workshops and and often people are not talking about, you know, should I get divorced? You're right. People is uncomfortable to talk about. They don't want to. They don't want to bring it. But one thing is that our relationships can be such a great source of ikigai. Mm-hmm. Um, it isn't just about what's happening in the workplace. Definitely like those family connections can be a super important to make us feel that there's a, there's a reason to be here. So, you know, with this, with this going on in the background, but people are scared. They're very scared. Yeah. People are scared to like, to take that, that step to... What, what do I lose? Right. Right. Yeah. What do you gain? So, so how, how did you, how did you move sort of through some of that? This? The fear. Yeah. yeah. Really? Well, so the fear. So I met my, my first wife when I was a student and I was here 20 years old. I was a student. I met her here and just long story short, I didn't really understand. And even my, my wife now is a different culture. She's Jamaican. I'm American. And so there's still this international cultural sort of difference between us. That's very fundamental, mm-hmm. probably wider than, let's say, between a Japanese and American, because to others, we look the same, the right. same color. So people assume there's more in common, and there's not really, except for history of slavery. But anyway, let me get back to the point. So my, uh, so I didn't take into account just how fundamentally different we were going to behave and see the world. Mm. And, you know, the world changes you, but the world changes you based on, let's say, how you were brought up, right? How yeah. you were raised. And so the change is going to affect you differently. And I was feeling hurt in my relationship with her, honestly. And I think she's mm. feeling that way towards me. We're feeling hurt. And I believe that I was feeling this pain and this resentment inside of me. And I know that this pain and resentment, because I've seen my own parents get divorced and I've seen bullies in school. And I started to make the connection that when you're feeling pain and resentful, you're going to hurt somebody. Yeah, It's inevitable. You just mm. do it. You're bad. You feel bad. So you hurt someone else. It's it's unconscious. And if people didn't do it, the world would be a different place. So I can't consider myself different from other people. So I I, I felt this coming and I said, you know, I don't and I didn't think at the time we could work it out. 
I don't think it was something we could work out. My issues were such that I didn't think it was I could work it out. And I'm not sure about her. But either way, I looked at it and said, if we don't get divorced, I'm going to send this woman to the crazy farm. I'm going to drive her insane because I'm just too different. She's going to drive me insane. But I see my parents go through divorce and come out the other side better, right? Mm. Not just better individually, but better as a team. They were better parents to me because they were separated. They And as distance grew, they became better collaborators in raising us. I had right. seen this. It's like having faith in a higher being. You just seen it. And it's just what you believe very strongly. And I said, you know, if I can get over this and try to, 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 if I can get through this, I think I can, I can make it work. So the problem is though, to my ex-wife, divorce was the end of a relationship. It was shame. It was failure. It was a bunch of things. So I knew that by telling her I wanted to get a divorce and just trying to push through it and sort of forcing it down her throat, to be honest, I was going to hurt her. Yeah. So I knew that in every other thing I did, I had to not hurt her. I had to, I had to listen. I failed doing this, but I learned through the, I think we went through like five or six years of sort of discussions about this divorce thing before we actually got divorced and going through it. I had to find ways of being kind. In other words, you know, when she was angry, just listening, because it's not about me. It's the divorce. It's the sense of shame. It's the sense of betrayal. It's not me personally. She's angry with, right? But you can't help but get angry with someone when they attack you. So it was great practice on just being, trying to be kind, trying your best. Like, and uh, it wasn't always smooth, but in time we found our own lives. And in time she realized, oh, I have my own life. My ex-husband, there's benefit to him being around, right? Mm-hmm. I think she could see that the children like having me around. And it was hard. There were arguments, all that kind of stuff. But I kept, I, I tell people when they're thinking, I want to get divorced. My wife's bad. I said, look, and I oversimplified and I tell them, just love your wife. She's someone's child. She's been socialized a certain way. She is not evil, right? These people aren't evil. They're conditioned to be. Sometimes your wife may be angry at you, but she's not angry with you. She's angry about how she was raised. She's angry about her position in the world. She's angry because maybe she can't get a job as a mother, you know, of two children. There's a lot of issues that because you're the closest person to them, you're going to receive all that garbage and vice versa and vice versa. So it's uh, I was sort of inspired by saying, I know this will get better because I had seen my parents model and I said, I'm going to work through this. So it's been We've been divorced for my first wife been divorced. We'll be separated for almost 20 years. Right. Almost 20. And you know, we get along. We're never going to hmm. be the best of friends, but you know, the kids love us both. You know, we can talk to each other. Certain topics that we'll talk about, we still argue to this day <laughs> if we talk, but we just want to go with my daughter. My, I'm, a, I'm in a podcast, baby. Real life, everyone. Real, real life, everyone. Real life in a state of emergency in Tokyo. We're all yeah, there. Yeah, she water. Yeah. So that was that was marriage number one. Yeah. Okay. Marriage number two. Now, sorry, marriage number one. Let me hide in. You know, I get divorced. We go through like the family. I don't know what you call it, but the chose, chote, chote thing, family court type of thing. Yeah, I don't know it's you, like a arbitrator, fr- arbitration yes, type yes. of thing. Like arbitration. <laughs> arbitration, and you know, I gave her custody of the children, but she never, she didn't take them from me. She didn't run away. You know, the kids were able to visit me, and I think it was a product of I, I think. Most of us know when we had a good boss or a good friend, we'll remember in time because of how they treated us. And I just had faith that if I just, the world's going to treat her or all of us with, with no sort of preference, with no sort of, def, def, you know, the world's not going to cater to us. And I think that you'll remember when people were kind when they didn't have to, right. or that someone was honest with you when they didn't have to, when the world's fill, filling you with lies and distractions. So hmm. I think that played a part. It still plays a part to this day. You know, I'm thinking, why in the heck hasn't she you know, beating me up or whatever, or whatever, you know, given up, you know, what you go through during divorce. Yeah, because so so many of those arbitrations for, for custody in Japan, it's like, so it's a single custody law anyway. Yes. And then, and never see, never see your children again. Yes. And and no one's done anything wrong by Nothing. the law, right? And also, I, I, I kind of wonder as well what, what you know, judgment uh, your, your wife received from like people in her community going, whoa, why yes. is he still in your life? Right. Because that's not the norm. Yes. Um, yes. But I, I really love like my, my takeaway from, from your first marriage is yeah. Like love your wife Yeah, because really. you did love them. And, yes, you did. and I love what you said. Like there's somebody's, there's somebody's child. Mm. There was a reason that you were together. Yeah. And the fact that it's not working out doesn't mean yeah. that you, you can love them and be divorced. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, it gets even, I mean, I could talk about it. If we had hours, I would tell you about the nights where I'm sitting there with my friends, mostly men, yeah. almost all men at the time. And we're talking about it and, you know, I'm venting my spleen at them. And, you know, all those self-help books that talk about, you know, no one can make you feel a certain way. No one can take from you what you don't 
want to, that you don't let them take from you. You know, that stuff resonates with me, but for real, you know what I mean? What I mean by that is, like, let's say one of the fears, as a, beyond as a man, you fear is that you're going to take all your money from you because you're the mm-hmm. man, you're the breadwinner, et cetera. And I was like, that would be unfair. Not because she doesn't deserve money. I mean, she's the mother of my children. She deserves lots of money, but it's more, at least in my opinion, she does. But it's a case of like being treated unfairly. I was worried about being abused by this system because I, I wasn't <laughs> Japanese at the time. And I'm, you know, and even if you are Japanese, you know, sometimes as, as, as fathers, you don't, you know, you lose right. on that. Mm. And so I thought to myself, well, if I can just focus on, you know, every day I have, you know, I'm working, I have a job, I have friends, associates, I'm making connections, I'm making relationships. If I get so bogged down in this divorce and what it makes me feel that I get depressed, alcoholic, addicted to drugs, all these type of things, I'm just taking away from my potential to, to just live a life because this will pass. Everything ends. Everything yes. ends. So my mother had always taught me because when I was growing up, I was a little different. I liked reading books and I was a know-it-all kind of kid. And I didn't understand how that pissed people off, but I was that know-it-all I was going to say, this, this sounds like you're, you're talking about me. Well, I mean, I was that kid. And my mother, she would say to me, you know, the best revenge when people picking on you is success. And now that can twist people a certain way and say, okay, I'm going to be after money. I'm going to be after this. But what it taught me was that, you know, success sometimes is I want those friends. I want people to see me and treat me fairly. You know, I want to be live a life where I am successful being me. And so when there's a problem, I take it as a personal affront. Like I'm not going to let it beat me. Mm. And I've seen so many divorces. I have friends, Japanese who have never seen their children after 20 something years and they let it go. They don't talk about it. You know, they're smoking a cigarette. We talk about it. They, they just let it go. They've, they've compartmentalized it right. culturally. I said, I don't want that to happen. I don't want that to happen. So mm. yeah, I think at the end of the day, it's, it's, you know, you love your, your your partner. The world's not going to love them. They'll learn that. We all learn that. And when someone treats you fairly, you, you if you're a decent person, you defer to them. You'll you'll try to give them a benefit of the doubt. And so I was scared. I thought I was going to lose my children. Yeah. And, you know, I had no sort of legal leg to stand on, really. They decided you know, there's no joint custody, at least at the time there wasn't. Yeah. But the, I remember the people at the, uh, whatever, the family court said, you know, your kids really love you. And I said, why are you telling me this? Why do you even care about me? Whatever. <laughs> I don't know why they said it, but it, it gave me a little bit of hope. I'm like, well, maybe my ex-wife or my wife at the time shared this with them. Maybe there's something here. And so I haven't had my children taken from me. And I think it it's to her credit. Okay. It's not all me. She's a good mm. person, but I think it's also, you know, even good people do bad things. And so I yeah. would think it also has to do with the way I eventually figured out how to relate to people, especially when I'm under stress or, you know, mm. justifiable anger, I guess you'd say when you're yeah. going through something like that. So that was the first time. Mm. And you think I learned my lesson, right? No, I didn't. <laughs> the second time, this is different. Now my second wife uh, was with me during like most of the, the end of this first marriage because my first wife wouldn't divorce me. She, it's her choice. Like, I don't want to get divorced. It took years for her to convince. I'm like, well, I'm moving on. So I, I was I was, my, I was living with my second wife. We were having a family together. And my second wife had seen me go through all of this. And, you know, I'm going through all of this, get divorced, finally get married. You no, know, we're living, life is fine. But then, but then, it's not but then, but over the entire period that I've been an adult, I've always started like with social groups, you know, getting people together to share their feelings and thoughts and maybe get involved in a project, whether it's Tokyo Black Professionals or, you know, you participated in the Legacy Foundation or whatever it is, you know, getting people together to sort of feel positive about, you know, solving problems. Have their pain alleviated. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Have to feel alleviated and their pain alleviated. And exactly. And so I started doing these groups and my, it's my fault in the sense that I want my partner, whoever that person is, to be my partner in these activities. Mm. One, when you get around people and you start a group, sometimes you become the leader of that group and people sort of defer to you. I've seen it happen. They're like, you're the boss or you're, they somehow place upon you, like you've experienced, you're, you're a success, right? It, it can somehow make you feel that you're, as we say, can I curse on this podcast? I shouldn't curse, Yeah, right? yeah, it's fine. It's fine, to, it's fine to curse? Yeah. Okay, so after a while, if people keep praising you, you feel like your shit doesn't stink. It wasn't so bad. I thought you were going to say something much worse. Well, trust me, I can go worse, but let me just start with that. <laughs> Let's keep it like a PG-13-ish. PG-13, okay. <laughs> like, you don't, you, you don't smell your own farts, so to speak. Yeah, that's right? right. That's right, right, thanks. Yeah, right. So you're on this pedestal, yeah. right? You're on this pedestal. And I've seen it happen to so many people. And you start to believe it about yourself. Believe it about yourself, yeah. I mean, we all do that. Like, you know, we all can done that or do that. As a parent, we do it sometimes. 
because mm. we're the parents, right? Our children misbehave. And we're like, well, we're the parent, we're in charge. But anyone who's a parent sometimes realizes, I don't know anything. <laughs> I'm learning from my kids. Hey, you, know, yeah. you know what I mean? We all figure that out eventually. And, but, but there are children, we love them. We, 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 we change ourselves for them. But when you're dealing with people who you may not love, right? Who you just know, it, 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 you're not challenging yourself. You know, you don't, you're not mindful of it or what's going on. So anyway, I was, I was, she wasn't a social person like that. And she started to become like one of those people. She could see me doing all of these things that she could never do. And I could mm. see this awe in her, her, her defer, de, deference to me. It was, it was, it was like, my friends would say that's the, to them, I'll be real talk here. They were like, this is a sterical Japanese woman, right? They're like, what? in their mind, in their, that fantasy of a Japanese woman who just did everything for her husband and just loves him, loves him, loves him. Right. And that's what they saw from the outside. Right. You know, and they're like, why are, are you unhappy? And I'm like, you don't get it. You don't want someone who's around you who just praises everything about you. You still argue. You're still married. You know, it's not perfect, yeah. but it wasn't. It just it that was happening. And I was going to do these social events and I meet all these people and I was feeling like I was somebody. And I didn't have that voice to sort of say, look, you know, I only had my mom and she's on the other side of the ocean. <laughs> yeah, she's not walking into the bathroom after you go and Henry, like, Whoa! you need to spray. Open the window. I needed my mama. I needed my mother. I needed, I needed someone. Or, or you just need even. someone who's going to tell you, mate, open the window. That I really trust. Yeah, open the window. It smells in here. And um, <laughs> so we had a real, several heart-to-heart talk over a period of about two years. Yeah. I mean, other things happened, but we talked about it. To her credit, to my credit, whatever, she, she said, you know what? I think you should probably find a better partner. Not a better partner, another partner. She never used that term. Sorry. Yeah, okay. Another partner. For me, that would be better. And we went to my lawyer, the one who he's passed away now, but he helped me with my citizenship process to a degree. And we went to his office, signed the papers in front of him. He witnessed it and we were done. It was that simple. Mm. It was that simple. And she's still a very close friend. She's, you know, the auntie to my children here and my, our daughter together is actually lives in the room next door. She's preparing to go off to school. So we're really close. It, right. it works. I can talk about that in detail. I could probably, I'll, I'd write a book about that one, but it's it's all. I think you know it's 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 about that treatment of people, and I just I've been practicing it for years, right? right? And I had a lot at stake in practicing it. So now I I realize it's probably one of the reasons I am relatively happy right now. And mm. So it, I'm just committed to that. It, it it fuels me. So sorry, I went on forever. No, it, no, it it's 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 really interesting. I think it it ties into this idea of alleviating pain that you said yes. as as your ikigai because being in a relationship which isn't working, which is yes. bringing more pain than joy. Mm-hmm. Like, of course, no relationship is perfect. Like that's just wrong and weird. And as you said, you need right. someone who can kind of tell you these things of, yeah, you were like not a good human when you did whatever it was you just yeah. did, right? Like that's a really important part of the partnership. Mm-hmm. But to be able to take that step, and actually it's never a step as well. I think there's one thing, you know, people talk about, oh, how can I start to like steps. move to it's steps and steps and steps and then some steps backwards and then not, no steps for like, as you said, you know, with your with your first wife, it was like six year discussion. Mm-hmm. Right. People sometimes are like, OK, I've, I've made this decision. I want this to happen and I want it to happen tomorrow. And it's like, that's not it always that way. Right. It never happens that way ever. Yeah. And I think that the differentiate I think also one of the things that was going through my mind at the time, and this will also go through people's mind when they're thinking about divorce or it comes up and or even if it just passes as an idea in their head is, is this a reason to divorce? Or is this one of those hard times that marriages just go through? Mm. Right. It's just one of the difficult times. And it could be. Actually, looking back, I'm thinking maybe, maybe, you know, it's been 20 something years. I can't remember. Maybe. But I, 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 I've now come to the conclusion or the concept that it's there's about that whole that whole pain thing is that is this when we get through this rough patch, will this person, including myself, let's say my partner, will they be in a position to really live a life free of pain? Right. Are they mm-hmm. walking their road? Are they living their truth? Right. Or are they still going to be in, in, in pain in the context of like resentful at the world? So we, my first wife, as an example, she had went to, uh, I love talking about this. Sorry, I forgot to go on forever. This is the marriage counseling topic, right? But she had went to um, associate college. Again, this is her generation. When I met her, I said she was working in an office and she said, you know, she went to two year, what is Simon Gakko? Yeah. And, you know, she had intended, you know, she. Going to college was never something she would have been raised to do. She thought, you know, she'd marry a man and she'd be a housewife. And that's just what she, yeah. she's very honest about. She thought, right? The irony of it all is that, first of all, being 
me growing up where I, what I saw, I thought to myself, that doesn't sound very cool. I sort of totally disregarded whether this was her decision. In my mind, I was thinking, this is just a Japanese thing. This isn't really what she wants, right? Right. She was very good at it. She's very good. She, she, she got very good at, at, at housekeeping and whatnot. But I did, even after that sort of chauvinistic period, and I'm watching her and I'm with her and I'm thinking, this isn't what she wants. I could see it. Like she had these skills that she'd use in the house that I know she wanted to use outside of the house. It was like counseling people. The strangest people would, and my wife isn't a social butterfly at all, but these strangest, most different type of people would come around her and want to spend time at our home or we'd babysit their kids. Very non-Japanese things. When I mentioned this to her, that's not very normal. She goes, oh, that's just, that just happens. I'm like, no, this is, this is who you are. Yeah. It, and so now she's like a Buddhist monk, priest type thing now. Yeah. Leaving me, she joined the Buddhist sect and she's doing all this. She's counseling people and doing spiritual advisory and all this kind of stuff, right? Right. And it's probably something she wouldn't have done had I said, you know what, let me keep her in here. She probably would have bickered for the last 20 something years. She may have figured it out. Who knows? But she's happier now. Mm. Right. Not happier. I don't I can't answer. I can't speak. That. Yeah. She's more fulfilled. She's doing I can see it when sometimes we'll all go to the temple together. She'll go, will you come to the temple with us for some event? I'm like, sure, I'll go. So it's me and the kids and we'll go as recent as last year we went and she's happy in that sphere. You can like see, see her. Yeah, I just see it. that energy and the, energy and like, yeah, yeah. The, the, you can see the ikigai in her, right? Like that she, she yeah. Had, yeah, you observe it in people. So, but if I thought, you know, perhaps we go through some challenges and we come out the, the other side better, then sure. But I didn't think that was the case. I really didn't. Yeah. And, and my second wife, the same way. I'd come home from these events where I'm talking like 100 people or traveling or whatnot. And I would need her to sort of like, because I trust her. I still do. I trust her very well. I'm like, can you watch the door? Can you help meet the people? These people are wanting to offer me this job or these people want to get me involved in this business. I Can you meet them? So you can get your feelings on them. And when the sessions would be over, she would be like distraught, like meeting all those people and talking to all those people and having to be social. And just again and again, I said, this isn't, I said, this is my, this is, I feel for you. You know what I mean? Yeah. So th- those type of things were happening. I said, this isn't, no, I'm not going to force this person to change. This person is going to try their best. And I don't know if they're going to be good on the other side of this. So, yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's, that's sort of what happened. So, but it's related to, you know, the pain thing. I mean, I could pretty much put up with pretty much anything, I think. But I'm looking at someone, I'm like, this isn't right for them. It's not right for me. So yeah. Figure it out. So yeah, now we can talk about easier stuff. Yeah, no, but I feel like, you know, some people might be saying, well, how is this relevant to me? I'm not married. I've got no intention of getting married or anything. So what do you tell them? I have my opinion. What do exactly, you tell exactly. them? Exactly. <laughs> so people are married. So let's talk about, first of all, before I close, I'm going to talk about the guy who's doing his, uh, like, the guy who's doing his, his hunger strike. I mean, I can't speak about what went on between him and his wife, but it's more than likely he's not the only reason she treated him badly to the kids with. Now, there's always two sides to a story. Yeah, maybe even more. Maybe even more, right? But a lot of the times, you know, people are treating you a certain way, like, you know, a friend who's in a similar situation to this man, and but his wife has a mental disability, mental illness, mm. serious mental illness. So the thing, I guess, how it's related is that when you're working or you're at, at work, for instance, I'm advising people on their career. And they're dealing with a manager or a, cor- or, or, or a company where they just don't see eye to eye. And they're like, well, if I just work hard, if I do my best, maybe I'll learn some new skills, maybe to help me step up. And I'm thinking, well, going through all this pain, are you, is this you, right? Is what you're spending all your time towards going to give you something that not a better salary or a better title, but yeah. that fulfilling, that fulfillingness that gets you through the hard time. Mm. And some, And many times the answer is no. Many times the answer is no, but they're like, well, I have no other choice. Mm. No other choice. So how this is related is that, you know, when you're trying to, you know, figure out and live your own truth, it's not as easy as just waking up one morning and saying, well, I'm going to get divorced or I'm going to do this. You'd really have to have a network of people around you, a support network of people around you that really that that support you, regardless of what that happens to be. And I think that's why it's really important the people you 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 keep around you, because sometimes there are people who will feel your feel your pain. Fuel your anger. Have you ever done this, Jennifer? Have you ever listened to like, like I'll, I'll, I used to do this a lot. Like when I was really angry, my two favorite songs, my two favorite songs I would listen to when I was angry was LL Cool J, uh, Mama Said Knock You Out, right? Okay. And the Imperial theme from Star Wars, Darth Vader's theme. <laughs> Look, this one I know. 
very sort of macho, aggressive songs about battle or attack or whatever. I mean, yeah. the Imperial March is obviously instrumental. But I listen to both those songs, right, to fill me up, to get me to fuel my anger. Fuel your rage. Fuel my rage. But when the songs were over, I didn't feel any better, you know? Mm. You know what I mean? I mean, there's a mental, there's a sort of fulfilling moment listening to it. Like you're, I'm imagining throwing my boss out of a window or whatever it is. You know, yeah. there's that moment in, in the moment that feels good. But at the end, I'm like, I'm still feeling that that negativity. I haven't progressed anywhere. Right. I haven't moved forward, right? So it's quite intoxicating kind of in that moment of like being angry, especially if you can have righteous anger. Yes. Because, oh, how awful this person is. Like, that's very exciting. And I think you know uh, Sarah Furia. Yes. Yeah, so, so she's my coach and she introduced me to the idea of the drama triangle. What is that? The drama triangle is basically there's a, there's a victim, there's a, like an aggressor or a persecutor and a rescuer. Right. And it's Kaplan, I want to say. And there's something that, you know, being like in this, for example, being in the victim situation, is, oh, everything's horrible. And then people will come in and be like, oh, Henry, I'm so sorry that happened to you. Yeah, that person sucks. Oh, what an idiot, blah, blah, blah. And then you can have this very exciting role play mm-hmm. of hating on this person. But then yeah. when this conversation's finished, the person who said, you know, Henry, could you wear a, a, a tie at work? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Whatever horrible thing they've done to you, I don't know what it is. But that nothing's changed for them. Mm-hmm. Nothing's changed for you as the victim. Right. Mm-hmm. And and so you've just got, gone around this, this triangle of drama, but no work mm-hmm. has been done. Nothing has been solved. Yeah. Um, so one of the challenges, like you said, you know, so you can go and you can listen to your angry music or whatever it is, or go out for those drinks with friends who are going to like feed that mm-hmm. whatever role you need them to do. But you have to get out of it and be, how do I be the creator? Like, what was the right. point, right? What was, if what they said was true to any degree, right? what were they in a, yes, very poorly communicated, mm-hmm. but what was it they were trying to, give me an opportunity to change or to develop or where have I not quite hit the mark? Like, how can I use this? Right. So, I mean, sorry, all we talked about for that, I mean, we talked about for the last 20 minutes was just for me to sort of explain that even in difficult situations that are incredibly emotional, incredibly Mm. stressful, it's, you know, I've spent a lot of time trying to focus on how do we make this better? Yeah. You know, how do we get ourselves forward in a situation that could be very bleak. So in those situations, when I'm sitting with someone, whether it's uh, an employee or a manager or a friend or a colleague or someone who wants some mentoring, it's it's about equipping them with some tools, right? Really equipping them both emotionally, spiritually, and just literally with tools to help them feel more confident doing something. So like you mentioned before, in that triangle, you tell someone, you give them, you're, you're, you're helping them sort of, they have a bitch fest, basically, yeah. you're about someone, and they feel okay, but you haven't necessarily given them anything to feel confident about, okay, let's take a step in one direction, yeah. right? Not not necessarily, like they're thinking, okay, well, I, I'm in my righteous anger, I feel right, but okay, I don't have any more leverage to move out, move on from the situation, I don't necessarily mm-hmm. have the confidence. You might get ideas from your friend, but the confidence to use whatever new ideas you heard, right? Well, it's like you said, though, your your friend might be in that situation where they are not necessarily maliciously. I don't want to mm-hmm. think that we have these awful friends, but yeah. like believe that their role to be helpful to you in that time is to allow you to continue to have that vent and bitch fest. Yes, right. Right. And that's, mm-hmm. that's a role that they can play for you. Right. And I think that that's what, you know, and there's nothing, I think the friend coming in to rescue you, right? Uh, actually, ironically, I had this conversation with my wife the other day because she was talking about someone she was speaking to, a friend she was speaking to. And we always talk about like when you're speaking with someone, you're being empathetic. A part of you is you want to help them. You feel their pain and you want to help them. Yeah. Right. You want them to know whatever. But a more effective way when you're trying to listen to your friend is to help them feel powerful in the moment, right? Yeah. It takes confidence and power to change. Mm. You need to feel really confident to change. And that's not saying, yeah, your boss is a butthead. I agree with you. It's like, what can you do so that this never happens again? What yeah. can you do so that no one makes you feel this way? You know, what do you, you know, tell me, tell me how you feel. And so you're, you're not really leading them, but you're getting them to speak in, 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 in confident language, getting them to visualize, visualize the better world, not visualize what they've been going through. Yeah. Yeah. Like what's the next? Yeah. Until they visualize it, they really can't do it. So you help them visualize. So through several conversations, through that visualization, you can help somebody. So like even example, when we talk to employees, and I'm talking about where I work now. I'm talking about in the past example. First time I had to ask an employee to leave the company. 
right? Mm-hmm. I had been transferred to HR. There was this employee that IT wanted to move out. And, you know, I knew him because I'd worked with him in IT before I was HR. And I'm thinking, he's like a nice guy. He's not a high performer, but I don't know what to say to this guy. So I walk in, he's a Japanese fellow. He was in his mid-50s at the time. And I tell him, hey, sorry, your performance company wants to provide you with this, this package. What do you think? And he just looks at it and goes, I don't want this. I don't want this. You know, he was, he was very frustrated, very angry. And I said to myself, there's no way I'm going to convince him to take this. I don't know how to do it. So what I did is I looked at it and I, I put myself in his shoes, at least the best I could. I looked at the money being offered. It was substantial. It was substantial. But in the moment, all he's thinking about is I've lost my job. Yeah. Right. So I'm thinking, what could that money do for him? What could he do? And not the money. I said, let me talk about what he could, would do if he didn't work for us. Mm. So that's what I did. I had a conversation. I said, okay, I understand. But, you know, not but. I said, but, um, you know, we've worked together. I know you, you know, it's a challenging department. If you didn't work for us, what would you do? He goes, what do you mean? I said, what would, you know, I had a conversation. What would you do? What would you do if you had the money to do it and the time? What would it be? And he's like, I would do this and I would do that. And by the end of the hour, he was, I said, just take the offer, think about it and come back. Yeah. Next week, it was on a Friday. So the next Tuesday, Monday or Tuesday, I remember this clearly. It was the first time I did it. It was a big deal to me at the time. And he yeah. comes in and he's like, well, I talked to my wife. My wife's like, what would I do at home all the time? Right. So he, he started visualizing. He has started visualizing the situation. He goes, you know, my wife's not sure. I said, I understand. But, you know, how would you, you know, what could you do to, 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 to help her? Right. And he goes, just talking, just getting him to visualize what life looks like without this burden of the company, which mm. he had defined himself as. Now, if we get into any relationship like marriage or we get into your work, you define yourself by that relationship, even though you're not that relationship. You never were. Mm. You define yourself by that. So he's, so I'm saying visualize what the world looks like. And then you start visualizing how you get there. Yeah. If you visualize it and you believe in it, then all of the effort you put into it isn't as much isn't as hard as it could be. It's sort of like when you talk to all these people about their ikigai and they're like they make it sound so simple what they do. Yeah. They make it sound like it's just an average and it's not. Everyone is exceptional, right? At something. But the re- the, the issue they can do it is that they they're fortunate enough to sort of figure out what they really believe in. And when you're doing what you really believe in, it doesn't feel as painful as hard work. So, third conversation the guy eventually took took the offer, he signed the letter, he thanked me. And I used that approach again with a foreigner about 3 months later, and he hugged me at the end. He's like, "Henry, thank you." And I mean, he was he and his boss were always fighting. He wanted to sue the company. He was angry, but I spoke to him and just have him visualize, you know, get free of this pain. Yeah. And it, it's like a marriage. Like you're like, "Well, my husband treated me this way. He cheated on me. He did this." I'm like, "But get away from it. You're not him. Don't yeah. define yourself by that idiot or that butt brain, whatever my yeah. like term butt brain. Define yourself by you. Get free of that." So when people are trying something new, mm. right, they really have to visualize. They need people to help them yeah. visualize the solution and not tell them the solution, but help them visualize it. Right. Yeah. And have that and have that bravery again to 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 imagine that and to Mm -hmm. imagine what you are worth and what your life could look like. Mm-hmm. right and not yeah. be stuck in like okay so now my reality is yeah I've got power harassment from my boss and I'm working all of these awful hours or whatever it is which is kind of wrong with your current reality you know I think that's sort of one of the the difficult things that happens is is when people are unhappy and in that reality of whatever type of pain I love that you've used this this word actually because it can then apply across any any right. situation when you're in pain it's very hard to imagine pleasure. Very hard to imagine pleasure. And the quickest pleasure you think about is food, things that are unconscious, like food, drink, sex, whatever. Yeah. These kind of things come to your mind because they're sort of instinctive. And the the more difficult sort of pleasures that come through hard work, that come through change. I mean, change yeah. is never comfortable, right? We yeah. all have to change to be successful, I think. Or like ease, right? Having ease in your life. So ease in your life. And you know, I think you you need to surround yourself. And this is where I think I could have benefited from a mentor is you need to surround yourself with people who've been through what you've been through to a mm. degree, people who've been on the other side, right. because it's like the example I, I give to people when I say that and they're like, you know, how do you what, what do you mean? I said, well, people who have really been through what you've been through, some of them at least are going to empathize with you and they're going to real they're going to remember how hard it was for them. Yeah. Right? They're going to and they're going to give up their time because they don't want anyone else to suffer like they suffered. Mm. When I first came to Japan, I was really scared that older Japanese people would be racist towards me. I was really scared about that. I've been told Japanese are racist and whatnot. And the kindest Japanese people I've met have been those over the, now they'd be over the age of 80 or so. Mm. But the older gen who had lived through World War II, right. they were the kindest. 
and my my second wife's father he lost brothers to the bombings right they were children they they starved to death you know sending the kids out yeah. of the cities and whatnot and I was scared to meet him I was like he's going to hate me I'm, I'm going to look like some of these soldiers he he, he had met and yeah of course he and his brother he was, they're still alive uh they couldn't have been the kindest they couldn't have been more kind they couldn't have been any kinder to me right and never mention the war never comes up and you know I, the way I've sort of sort of equated this sort of phenomenon that I see is that if you've suffered through war you've suffered You've seen, you know, what 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 pain can do to people. You don't want anyone to feel that way yeah. unless the world's broken you and you just want you just want to give your pain away because there's no you know, there's nothing else for you to do. But most mm. of us, we don't want people to feel that way. Yeah. Right. So you want to surround yourself with people like that's where the confidence comes. And I didn't have that. I was just based on faith. I remember calling my father the first time I was when I one time I was, I was getting divorced. The second time I was introducing my partner, who's my wife now, to my colleagues at work. And one of my colleagues says something to me like, you're a terrible man. I guess you're a terrible father. You're a terrible person. And I'm like, what? Right in front of her and all of my colleagues. I'm like, what are you talking about? What have I done to you? And he's like, and I'm thinking, and I just, I just left. I was just like, huh? And I remember calling my father and I was crying. I'm a grown man. I'm yeah. in my 30s. I was calling my father. I said, what? Why do I feel this way? What have I done to this person? You know, why am I going to... Am I going to have the stigma over me? Like I'm some broken man because I, how do I handle that? Because it's going to happen again. Yeah. He said, my father used the F word. He's like, Fuck. he said, they don't have to live your life. I was like, I understand it. But in the moment it hurt. So later on the next day, he's over the weekend. I was thinking about it. And I said, yeah, how dare he do that to me? And then it became apparent that this person was dealing with his own marriage infidelities. He was cheating on his wife with someone at the office. He was projecting mm. what he was going through. And I found this out because I, I remember asking my boss was actually in that, that, that dinner or whatever. And I said, what's going on? He goes, you know what? He's going through this. And I said, okay. So on Monday, that colleague emails me and texts me, says, look, I want to apologize. I said, look, you don't have to apologize, but you got your opinion. Thank you very much. But we can have a drink and talk. I said, I don't need to talk about me. I'm good. I realized he's throwing his pain at me. Yeah. And it was funny because I've been talking about whether it's marriage or your boss or whatever. People are in pain when they give you pain. Mm. It's not about me. You know, if I can get myself out of that situation, I'm going to be fine. Or if I can help that person get out of that situation, I'm going to be fine. But come on, if I was going through something, I, I have no doubt I've treated people badly when I was hurting. So mm. I, you know, I have a, I, some empathy for that. I have a lot of empathy for that. But what I have that faith, I've seen people on the other side of it. And I believe we can all, most of us can get through it with the right help. Yeah. And, and I feel like as well, like it's as maybe a takeaway, another takeaway for me from this is when you are going through these kinds of changes, right? When you're mm. trying to make yourself happier and, and bring more feelings of purpose and mm. things into your life, that is a challenge to other people to address how they're living their life. So yeah. not everyone is going to say, yay, Henry, great divorce. So happy for you. Or yay, Henry, you changed your job or you did this thing, right? You know, you will we're not going to um, talk about it, but like you're, you know, naturalizing as a Japanese citizen. Not everyone is going to say yay, Henry, because they've got some pain about that process for themselves. Yeah. So I guess the the message to listeners is like, be ready. Right. <laughs> be, be ready. Some, some people will be there. So you have to have that support group because there are going to be haters who are going to be like, so I'm thinking what you're doing mm -hmm. is a mirror to them of something that maybe they are desiring for themselves. Yes. Yes. But then they're not ready to go there. Right. So it's like, an, uh, and it, and it comes to them as a personal affront. So they deal with that pain by it does saying nasty things to you. Yeah. And it's like, what is no, all publicity is good publicity. If someone is attacking you for something, you're doing something right. You're doing something, you're challenging them, right? There's something you're doing. If you, if, if it wasn't an issue, like for instance, people usually shouldn't care what other people do. It really doesn't matter unless you're hurting somebody, but they care for some reason. You know, like, why do you care, right? It's, it, huh? So uh -huh. It's, it's them. It's not you. It's somehow they can't let go of something and they attach it to you, mm. right? Like if someone believes, like someone's racist, for instance, they think, yeah. you know, I think colored people or whatever, it's, it's not necessarily you. They have this issue in their head and they connect it to you, right? And then when it doesn't, I've seen this, this happens to me and living growing up in America or even in Japan, when you don't fit that mold that they have of these evil colored people or whatnot, then they're like, okay, there's this cognitive dissonance. And they're like, okay, well, you're just different, right? Well, what happens if you meet two people, three, 10 people, and you realize that you realize you're wrong and do you change or not? You know, the, the, mm. the, the issue is that it's not on you to change that person because it's not you that's causing this person to be right. 
this way. You're just, unfortunately, that change in their life. It's like challenge their, challenge their status quo, challenge their beliefs. Yeah. And the more support you have on the other side, the more you can weather that. Because if it's only, if it's, if, say, if you're, if you're living with people or roommate situation, you don't have the money to move, but you need to get away from them, right? I mean, these are real things that prevent you from taking steps. And you have to take your time and make a plan, but you need to surround yourself. That's why I like creating groups so people can find these groups to get that support, not only to leave. <laughs> it's not all about leaving. It's about, you know, learning new skills, about challenging yeah. yourself to, to, to be whatever you, you wish to be. Yeah, well, I, I hope, you know, although we've based most of our conversation today around like relationships and the, the topic of divorce, I hope that people have the, like mental gymnastics to go, oh, this is about marriage, but it's also not about marriage. Well, it's definitely not about marriage. Any of these things are are connected to any any time that you want to bring about a change and there is going to be fear over whatever those like losses mm-hmm. are perceived or not. And also, I think, as you said, right, there's it's a series of steps. Mm-hmm. It's not like, you know, overnight and, and the answer might not come to you. And maybe you think you have the answer and then you, oh, no, maybe I shouldn't. And there's lots of back and forth and all of those mm-hmm. things, this process but finding and connecting to those people who are like mm-hmm. on the other side. So whether it's you wanted to leave your company or you want to, you know, start your own business or you want to become a human rights commissioner, which we didn't talk about at all. So we have to mm-hmm. invite you back another time to get into, get into all that. Yeah. Like there's someone who's done it and there's someone who can make that process easier for you as well. And who knows, mm-hmm. or maybe not knows because no one's experience is exactly the same, but mm-hmm. they have empathy and some level of understanding to support you. Well, I think the, the, if I were connected all together, sort of how people who are, you know, whether you're looking for a job or you're looking to move to another country or something like that. And I talk about my guy is like alleviating that pain is that, uh, and it keeps me motivated is when I make a decision on something or do something new, right? Becoming a, a naturalized citizen or a human rights mm-hmm. commission or something different. I know, I believe that I'm trying to make the world better for mo- everybody. I'm trying to make the world better, right? And in that situation, people will reject it. People will say, that's not what I want, or I don't get it. And so, but I just said before, and I use the, the divorce as an example, just I, I felt that, you know, if you can just try to treat people with respect, okay, I get it. I believe, I see where you're coming from, but guess what? This is me. This is what mm-hmm. I'm going to do. This is how I think it's going to help you. Sorry you disagree, but thank you. You, you move on. Is that you, you, you wind up providing for people. I just have this belief that it's going to make things better. And so that's kind of like when, when someone's rejecting you or someone's like, I did, it's not about them, right? It's, it's about, are you living your, your, your best? Are you living your, your truth? And if the product is good, those people that were naysayers are going to look at it and say, there's something from your success they'll want to take from, they'll want to learn from, so to speak. And I use the big example of the sort of divorce in the beginning because it's so incredible. It seems, it seems so incredibly different, but it's not. Yeah. You know, when you work, you want to do something new. You tell your boss, I want to do this. Or you tell your company you wish to quit and they're angry with you. Like, I'm sorry, you're upset. I'm sorry, all respect. This is what's true to me. I'll always be good to you. Always, we'll always have France or Casablanca or whatever. <laughs> and, you know, and, 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 and you move on. And if you're successful, then someone say, you know, I work with that person when. Or I knew that person when, right. but it's when you sort of bask in your pain and say, well, these people treated me wrong and I'm going to get back at them. You just leave a trail of fire behind you, around you everywhere. And that's not going to help you really. It's yeah. not necessarily going to hurt you, but you, you just leave this destruction in the world. And unfortunately, people feel lots of pain. So my job is to go out there and help these people so they don't burn down the forest. Mm. And that makes me excited. I'm like, I'm, it's like, you know, it's like this ecological, like coaching e- ecology. I don't want them to burn all the trees down. <laughs> Sustainable living. Sustainable, yeah. Sustainable living, yeah. So that's the connection there. Yeah, just one uh, one thing that I, I, I want to let everyone know. Actually, if you choose, you can make pain be your ikigai. Oh, yes, most definitely. Like you can be driven by that and your reason to be can be to like get back at Frank or, you know, get one up on the Joneses or to show those people like you can be driven and mm-hmm. your reason for being here is to like bring that person down. That is also an acceptable ikigai. Most definitely. Right? It, mm-hmm. It's fine. Yeah, exactly. But And uh, and it's there. So, but the, uh, I guess the point is you have choice. Is like, is that the, the way that you want to be driven and shown up in the world? Because, right. yeah, if you have a choice, maybe there's another way. Yeah, if someone wants to burn down the forest, let them. Knock it out, yeah. knock it out. But a lot of people don't. And when they're, they, they wind up running around in circles, they're like, why did this keep happening to me? And I'll, I want to be there if they wish to help them. Yeah. 
So you don't want to force people to, to get help who don't want it, you know, but those are open. Yes. Let me help you plant some trees. Right. So if you had a final message, Henry, because we're at the close of our time here for the listeners of Ikigai with Jennifer Shinkai, what would you tell them? Well, I think before we recorded, you mentioned something about how do we spend the very little bit of time we have in this world, right? Mm-hmm. And the funny thing is that the problems you have once you're gone are gone. The problems themselves are gone because you're not here. But what you leave remains, right? What you leave remains. And so when you're caught up in, you're angry or you're, you're, you're lost or you're confused, these problems are solvable either through you finding a solution or you not being there, right? Meaning that mm. the weight you give them really is just you creating this weight. They can be solved. There are people, whether it's tell, right? You can call and get support, you know, psychi- psychological support, you know, your, your counselor, your, your, your HR department, you know, your boss, your, your loved ones, your wife, your, your spouse, your spouse, husband, wife, whatever, spouse, you know, there's support out there. And so that's really what I want to leave people with when, you know, when they're, um, if I was anything I could leave them with is that you have, you know, you can get through this no matter what it happens to be. And there are people out there who who are there to help you. So never be, be coy about asking for help there. there, Maybe someone will say no, but there are a lot of people who want to help. Yeah. So reach out. And you being a coach, I thought, you know, I'd say that a little little plug for you as well. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Yes, exactly. Exactly. So thank you so much, Henry. Oh, you're welcome. We'll have all of your website, your YouTube channel, so people can, all of the details will be down below. Okay. I can subscribe, <laughs> uh, write five-star reviews, all of those Get the things. like, whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. Press all the buttons. Give us all, all the, the love. All the, yeah, all the buttons. Go wild. But don't press it twice because then it like comes off. Yes. Uh, yeah. Just once. Just <laughs> once. Reach one. And uh, yeah, five star, five star reviews only. Uh, it was great to have you here. And thank you for sharing so openly and honestly. I love that we uh, talked about a topic which you don't often talk about in interviews. So whenever no asked me. Yeah, yeah. Well, there you go. It's a great question to ask. What would you like to talk about? It's such a rich life as well. I hope it was useful though. I know I've listened to a lot of the, your, your, your podcast and I didn't want to, you know, you know, I didn't want to sort of hijack the conversation. Hopefully it was, it, it. I got so many gems and I think that our listeners will be like, there's whether this is something which is happening right in their life right now, or they can see what the applications are. So it was absolute pleasure. And um, yeah, I look forward to listening to the transcript. I can't wait. Okay. (laughs) Thank you. You're welcome. Take care. Bye. Thank you so much for listening today. I really hope that you found something you could take away from the episode to help you find your own Ikigai and integrate it into your daily life. And I'd love to hear exactly what resonated with you. So pop over to see me on LinkedIn or on my Facebook page. You can find the links in the show notes below. And let me know what you thought was the most important takeaway from the podcast today. And sharing is caring. So feel free to share this episode with one of your friends who you think could benefit from hearing about living a life of purpose. Looking forward to see you on the next episode of Ikigai with Jennifer Shinkai.